On this week's episode of I Believe Now What, we are going over Matthew chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. This is a passage that has so many deep truths that's both good for knowledge and for application and just our overall understanding. So I hope you're having a great one out there, and I hope you're ready. Let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Hey, everybody. What's going on? I hope you all are having a wonderful day out there. If this is your first time listening, I Believe Now What is a podcast that really answers itself in the name. We want to talk about that now what that comes after you say, I believe. So whether you are a seasoned Christian or you're new to the faith, we go over Bible studies, topical studies. We try to define doctrine. You know, those big Christianese words that you may hear get thrown around and you don't want to ask about it. We do all sorts of different stuff on here. And today we're really focused on Matthew chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, like we said in the introduction. If you've been following along the last few episodes, I've been doing a personal study uh, just of every time Jesus either said the word truly or truly, truly in front of a statement, because these are some powerful statements that he's made, and I've just been doing deep dives into it, and it was a personal study that I ended up really finding a lot of application for in my life and just really overall enhancing my knowledge to understand scripture better. So I wanted to put that out here and share it with you all. So with that being said, I am very happy that we are finally, just a little side note, uh, being able to, I have a solid schedule now for work, so I know exactly when I'm able to upload, when I'm not able to upload. I wish this was something that I just did full time and I can dedicate more time to it, but you know, bills got to get paid, so forth and so on. Uh, But Let's go ahead. You don't want to hear about all that. Let's go ahead and listen to Matthew chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. And once again, I want to put this out there because I haven't said it in a while. Don't ever just take my word for it when it comes to reading Scripture or anybody's word for it when they're reading Scripture. One, you never know. They might make a mistake. They might pull up the wrong passage. Or two, sadly, this happens. Sometimes people twist the words in Scriptures to make it say what they want to say. So it's always important to look at the verse that someone's reading and not just take your word for it. I'm not talking about being distrusting. Trust but verify, a good first sergeant once told me a long time ago. Trust but verify. So as we're going through, 9 through 11 really is the base passage of what we're doing, but I want to read to you the entire thing in context. So really, 5 through 13, so that way you could just get an idea of where we're at. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13 is the real context of this passage. And it says there, And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home and fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. I, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes. And I say to another, come and he comes. And I say to my slave, do this. And he does this. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and to the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness and the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it shall be done for you 
as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. All right. So there's our passage. And honestly, at first glance, you may see think this 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 is a pretty basic story. You know, I know before I really got into this study, I've probably read this a hundred times. And I knew the significance to some stuff, but never really dove into it. But when I started praying on it and just reading it and studying it, oh my gosh, the multiple different truths that come out of this. And don't worry, I'm not going to go forever on this today, but you can really make multiple, multiple messages and uh, out of this to where you can apply context, you can apply knowledge, and you can apply application for all this. Well, with all that being said and done, let's go ahead and actually get into what we're talking about here. So we're going to go ahead and break this down verse by verse. But before we do, I, I want it's important to get this out of the way in case you come across in your reading your Bible, and you may already be familiar with this. But this same event, the same story that we're seeing in Matthew is actually also recorded in Luke. So it's a good thing when we're done with this, you should go check that account out in Luke and actually kind of compare it side by side so you can read it yourself. But one of the things that you're going to notice that is in Matthew's account, it looks like the Roman centurion himself went to Jesus, while in Luke's account, uh, the centurion sent out some Jewish elders, some servants, if you will, to go talk to Jesus instead in his place. Now, an atheist or somebody who likes to criticize the Bible would look at this and say, oh my gosh, this is such a contradiction. This shows the Bible isn't true, you know, but that's not actually the case. Now, if you do a little bit of history behind it, let's let's look at a few points. Number one, and this is just a coverall, if the Bible was fake, people would have caught this centuries ago and they would have tried to fix it themselves, but they didn't. They left it the same way. Why? Well, let me tell you why. Because in these days, in this time frame, when you keep it in context, when someone sends a messenger out, that messenger is often treated as the person who is sending the message. So it makes sense that Matthew would record the servant talking in the same first-person voice as the Roman centurion. It makes a lot of sense, as is often the case with these situations. And we also know that Matthew is somebody who consistently abbreviates his stories as opposed to, say, someone like Luke, who goes a lot more in-depth. Matthew likes to get to the point, while Luke likes to explore all the different things. You know, Luke was pretty much an investigative reporter. That's how he wrote his account. You know, John, when he writes his gospel, he likes to give the whys to a lot of things that you may seem in the gospel that we don't get. We just get the story. We don't get the why or the implications and the theological background to it. John likes to give that in his side. Each gospel complements each other. So essentially what's going on here is Matthew. Matthew is uh, pretty much treating that servant as if he is the master himself and writing that in first person of the centurion. Now, if you don't buy that, if you don't buy my words, all you got to do is take to that wonderful little Google machine that God has blessed us with and go and Google, Google this up, read about it, and you'll actually see uh, how much evidence there is to support this. Some atheists don't even debate, bother debating this because they know that this was the historical context and it's kind of a mute point to go ahead and debate it. But with all that being said, out of the way, you can trust the Bible for its accuracy and you can trust these counts. So that's not the point of this episode, though. We're going to go ahead and get into the point right now. So let's go ahead and break this down verse by verse, starting at verse 5. So it says, when Jesus entered Capernaum, and we're going to stop right there. 
All right, so Jesus enters Capernaum. What is Capernaum? Capernaum is a very important trade route on the Sea of Galilee. This is also the home of Peter and Andrew, two of the 12 apostles. And we also know from other gospel accounts that Jesus has already ministered here before. And that comes in not so much in what we're talking important for what we're talking about today, but important for later on as we're reading through the Bible, especially Matthew's account, because he has some pretty harsh words for Capernaum later on. But anyways, in verse 5, it says, When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him. So you might ask yourself, what's a centurion? Don't worry, I'm not going to stop every two seconds for this, but these are important definitions that we need to see. So if you don't know what a centurion is, just think of the word century. A century is what? 100. So a centurion is a Roman officer who has charge over 100 men. That's what a centurion is. So this Roman officer who had charge over 100 men came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home and fearfully tormented. Right off the bat in verse 6, you notice that he calls Jesus Lord. Now, this isn't the same type of Lord that we see in the Old Testament. Translated by the Greek, this could mean sir or master. In other words, this is a sign of respect. And that's important because this is a Roman centurion here. This guy has no reason to respect anybody below him. You know, you get that typical uh, picture in your head of somebody who's just lording things over somebody else. He's a Roman centurion. He has no reason to show respect to Jesus whatsoever, but yet he does. He shows respect to Jesus. And actually, if you read in Luke's account, we do know that this Roman centurion was actually liked by the people of that town because he helped build synagogues and uh, so forth and so on. I don't have the account right in front of me, but he was actually kind of liked in that town. He did some good things for the Jews there. But here he is, Roman centurion, high up there. Someone like Jesus is, is below him in his mind, or at least would be in most other people's minds. And he calls Jesus, sir, master, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home and fearfully tormented. Not to get into the weeds too much. We don't know exactly what's wrong with him here. We just know the words that we see right here. It could be demon-possessed. It could be sickness. We don't truly know. But in verse 7, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. So Jesus says, I'll go to your place. I'll go and heal this guy up. And then the centurion says something that amazes Jesus right here. He said, Lord, once again, sign of respect, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. He said, I am not worthy. If calling him Lord wasn't respectful enough, he already says that I'm not even worthy. And since we know that he was, from Luke's account, someone who the Jewish people liked, he had a pretty good idea, probably, of Jewish customs. A Jew could not walk into a Gentile's house. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't care about that. But a Jew could not walk into a Gentile's house. They would be ceremonial unclean at that point in time. It was a bad thing for a Jew to go into a Gentile's house. He didn't want to put Jesus through that, or at least that's what I'm reading here. And overall, like we say, he believes he's truly not worthy for Jesus to even come under his roof. But then he says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. What an amazing demonstration of faith this is. And not only do we get to see his demonstration of faith, but we we get to see a reason why 
he has faith Jesus can do this. And this is really important here. Verse 9, For I am also a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, verse 10, he marveled. And you had to say something pretty awesome to make Jesus marvel, I'd say. <laughs> he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great a faith with anyone in all of Israel. So essentially what this Roman centurion was doing by giving this explanation was he was saying, look, Lord, I understand you have authority because I have authority. I can tell people what to do, and I know it's going to get done. And I recognize that you also have authority. So all you have to do is say it, and I know it's going to get done. And obviously, as we read, this marveled Jesus. Jesus was marveled. I could just picture his face if I knew what his face actually looked like. You know, I could just picture Jesus's face here. He marveled. But then what Jesus did, and this is very intentional, what he did right here. He turned and said to those who were following. So who's following? Let's, let's try to put this in perspective here. So this is not too long after the Sermon on the Mount. He already healed somebody else before this. The Servant on the Mount's primary audience was who? It was the Jewish people. So obviously, people who were following him after that sermon were Jewish people. Jewish people were following him after saying these words. And as he goes into Capernaum, we know those are the people who are following Jesus at this time. And then he turns to all those Jewish people and tells them, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great a faith with anyone in Israel. Number one, this probably had to upset some people. Because here they're saying that, here, here's Jesus saying that a Gentile, a Roman centurion Gentile nonetheless, someone who is the oppressing force, if you didn't notice that, because the Roman Empire essentially took over Israel. They were the oppressing force that the Jews wanted out of Israel. And here Jesus is saying this Roman centurion Gentile has greater faith than anyone in all of Israel. That probably upset some people. Well, if that wasn't enough, in verse 11, he says, I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're just glossing over this, you might not understand the significance of this, but what Jesus is saying here <laughs> probably really ruffled some feathers because not only did he say that a Gentile, Roman centurion, oppressing force man has the greatest faith in all of Israel. He also says that Jews get to go ahead and be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the same table reclining with them in the kingdom of heaven. See, based off the rabbinical teachings of the rabbis, they thought that this was only a Jewish thing, that only Jews got to do this. Only Jews get to go ahead and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus is saying, no. Many will come from the east and from the west. In other words, Gentiles, people like myself, I'm a Gentile, get to come into the kingdom of heaven. But then verse 12, if the first two things didn't upset them enough, verse 12 probably had some people stomping off and leaving. Then he says, but the sons of the kingdom, that's the Israel nation, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. So these Jewish people following Jesus not only heard somebody has greatest faith in all of Israel, and it's not a Jew, it's a Gentile, 
Roman centurion Gentile. Also, Gentiles get to be at heaven. They get to sit and chill with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And number three, the Jews, the original sons of the kingdom, they're going to be cast out in the outer darkness. Now, what I do want to say, I want to caveat this because I don't want you throwing some anti-Semitic stuff out there or think that I'm saying this. There are Jews who do get saved, who do come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Jews still have a place in the kingdom. If you go on read books like Romans chapter 11, uh, Revelation, Jews still have a place in the kingdom, and they still have a part to play in God. But essentially, he's talking about the people who Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. He came to the Jews. He's the Messiah that they've been waiting for, but it wasn't the Messiah that they wanted at that time, and they rejected him. But the sons of the kingdom, Jesus says, will be cast in the outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oftentimes when we see that weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is referring to hell. That is referring to the lake of fire. We also see this again later on in Matthew at the parable of the marriage supper of the Lamb, where he says the people who come in not wearing the proper wedding garments will be cast out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's consistent with the Bible. And then in verse 13, Jesus says to the centurion, Go, and it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So, number one, we see Jesus heals the servant instantly. This is important because we need to understand that G- there, there is no... Uh, I don't want to say fairy tale. For some reason, that was popping in my head. But there is no magical spell. That's what I was looking for. There's no magical spell to healing. Jesus just healed however he wanted to heal in whichever way he wanted to heal because he had the authority to do that, still does. This was all to fulfill prophecy. Number one, to show that by his stripes we are healed, it talks about that, that that prophecy was fulfilled with all the healings that Jesus had done. It also has future implications, and I'm not going to get into the hyper-charismatic side of that, but it does have future implications, not just on this earth, but more specifically spiritual healing and the physical healing that we get when we get our resurrected new bodies in heaven. So not only do we see touches of that in here, but we also see that for as you have believed, it shall be done for as you have believed. So faith actually played a role in this. Now this gets into a bigger discussion that honestly people will claim that they have amazing insight on, but I don't think they truly know. Sometimes we see Jesus healing because of somebody's faith, but that's also not always the case. There's cases such as what happens just after this, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, She obviously probably had no idea who Jesus really was, but Jesus healed her anyways, and then she got up and started serving Jesus. Or the man who was lowered down, he didn't know who Jesus was probably, but some people were going over there, and they wanted to see Jesus healing, because here's this guy just healing people. They don't know who he is, but they figured, why not? Let's go ahead and take him to go get healed, and Jesus healed him. So there are cases that we see, and I could be missing some, but there are cases in the Bible where we see people don't know who this person is, and uh, who Jesus is, and he, they end up getting healed. So faith doesn't always have something to do with it, but there are cases such as this one where faith does have something to do with healing. And I'm careful when I say that because there are a lot of people out there that will try to tell you that, I don't want to say a lot, but there are people out there who will try to tell you, oh, if you're not getting healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. And that is one of the greatest lies 
that somebody could ever tell. That's what a fake faith healer tells someone when they come up for a healing and it doesn't work. And then they say, oh, well, um, uh, you know, have you given some money recently? Have you, uh, you know, maybe your faith just isn't good enough. You know, sow some financial seeds and that shows your faith. That's a scheme. It's a real scheme. And it happened a lot before the internet came out, but it still happens today, sadly. Without going into a whole spiel on that, if you want to read more on that, go check out the book More Than a Healer by Kosti Hinn. Beautiful book. I'm not all the way finished with it yet, but so far it is amazing, and it touches up on subjects such as this. So now that we've broken down this passage, let's go ahead and get into some more practical things that we can kind of pull out of this for us today. So number one, at least knowledge-wise, we know Sadly, there are some people out there, and they're known as hyper-dispensationalists, that will say things such as, oh, don't pay attention, you know, Jesus' message is good to read, but you can't get saved off of Jesus' gospel, you can only get saved off of Paul's gospel. These people are hyper-dispensationalists. They see dispensations in the Bible, in other words, God operating differently in different times. And don't get me wrong, there are dispensations in the Bible, that, that, that's, a, that's a true fact. But the reason why they're called hyper is because they draw all these fine lines. You, you usually hear them referred to as mid-acts dispensationalists. I talked about it a few weeks ago when I had Alex on the show, and we talked about uh, the law, Christians and the law, and we talked about the Torah observement movement and how the hyper-dispensationalist movement is the exact opposite side. Now, like I said, dispensations are real. I mean, it's, it's very clear that Jesus, God, had a very specific plan for the Jews uh, and still does to this day. And then at one point in time after the cross, throughout the book of Acts, we do see the focus start getting turned more on the Gentiles than it was on the Jews. And it's very true fact to say that Jesus went to the Jews first, but it wasn't to the Jews only. He healed this Roman centurion servant, a Gentile, the first time he gave the gospel that we see in the book of John, the full full version of the gospel. He talked about it with Nicodemus and gave him the gospel message, but the first time he really reveals who he is is when he's talking to a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. I mean, the Samaritan woman, they were viewed like I, I'm not trying to use harsh language here, but they were viewed like dogs because they were half-breeds. They were Jewish people who intermingled uh, with Gentiles and pretty much ruined the bloodline. You know, they went off and worshipped in their own way, and the Jews didn't like them very much. So the point that I'm getting with this is that Jesus' ministry was not just to the Jews. It was to the Jews first but it is also for the Gentiles. And Paul clears that up and makes that very clear. And this verse just really kind of nails the coffin in that because why else would he heal a Roman centurion's servant if not the message was for everybody? Obviously, Jesus was doing multiple things here as we talked about. He was, one, showing the Jewish people that their rejection of him was going to come. But two, he was also showing, look, Gentiles are a part of this equation too. Many will come from the East and from the West. So to say that it was Jesus's gospel is not something that we can get saved by, don't listen to that. And if you want to argue me on that point, by all means you can. I'm not sure if there's anybody out there who listens to me that that is a hyper dispensationalist, but by all means, write us in, ibnwpodcast at gmail.com. We can talk it out. I would love to do that. Now, when it comes to the application side of this, I, I, I can say I do struggle to find a direct application that we can find. Now, if we infer a lot of things, we can find some application to it, such as, obviously, this Roman centurion, he had enough faith in Jesus, and he, 
according to his faith and according to the very fact that he believed Jesus could heal him, this servant was healed. And you can't really argue that. That's in the Bible. But at the same time, I don't want people to run off, as I said earlier, and think that, oh, it, as long as you have enough faith, you're always going to be healed. Or whatever situation you're in is always going to happen the way that you think it's going to happen in your mind. Because that may not be the case. Because there are Christians that have amazing faith that sadly still die from cancer and other things. But it's all in God's plan. As I often said, we don't see the forest for the trees, but we know God can because he's the one who planted the forest. So he he has a pretty good idea of what that big picture is. We only see the 10-foot target military talk that's right in front of us, but God knows the entire plan. So if you want some application out of this, number one, just have faith. Have faith in God, but not just have faith in God that he's going to do what you want him to do, but have faith in God that his plan is greater than ours. I think what we really pull out of this passage is knowledge point of just understanding Jesus's ministry more and really how it all sets the stage for everything that was going to happen later on, including the life that we're living right now in this time and at this date, which is 2022, everything leading up to eventually the second coming and the coming of the kingdom. Now, with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and cut the episode off here. But thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or maybe there's something else that you had some questions on and you want to send them in, by all means, you can reach me at that email I mentioned earlier, ibnwpodcast at gmail.com. That's ibnwpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can find myself, my personal page on TikTok, at Saved by the Savior. And that's where you can reach us. Just type in I Believe Now What in those other social media accounts and you'll be able to find it. But with any, without any further delay, we got some interviews coming up for some future stuff. Those are still getting scheduled out and in the works. But until then, y'all have a wonderful week out there. And thank you so much for listening. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for leaving us your words so we can just understand your ministry better. And through that, we can understand more and more about your plan, about God the Father's plan for salvation. I thank you for everything that you do in our lives, Lord. Even if we don't fully understand it now at this time, we know, based off your servant Paul's words, Romans chapter 8, that you do all things together. You put all things together for our good, for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose, Lord. Thank you so much for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.